and welcome to this session. Please find your seats. I'm Kate Bulkley. This is the uh, stream, if you want to go faster, decoding the SVODs session. I'm Kate Bulkley. I'm an independent media commentator and journalist, and I'm here to run uh, this session. If any of you were in the session that happened in this room earlier, I understand that they did a straw poll of the audience asking if SVODs are good or bad for the kids' business. And according to Stuart Purvis, who ran that session, he said it was a split decision. So we'll see. This whole session is about decoding the SVODs. Hopefully you'll get some answers about um, what they're up to. Um, so the purpose of this session is to basically talk about Netflix, Amazon, the other SVODs. Um, they've always been shy of speaking at CMC to tell us what, they, what they're looking for. So basically we've assembled a panel to do that for them. Um, and we think that we might actually get more information out of these people than we would if we actually had the SVODs on the panel. That's the theory anyway. Um, there's, there's obviously a fast-changing world going on with the SVODs. Um, they've started in one place, they may be going to other places in terms of what they want to commission, what kind of rights they want, those kind of issues. Um, obviously, there's more of them coming up. We'll talk a little bit about that with uh, Disney Plus coming and whatever's going to happen with Warner Media. Um, we're going to try to help talk about uh, kids' content creators what kind of strategies you need to not only survive, but to thrive in this new environment. And we're gonna to try to peer a bit into the future. So those are our three blocks. Um, I'm gonna introduce our speakers and then we're gonna go. Now, I could just tell you that we've got a lot of content in this session. Um, we have Richard who's gonna produce some slides. So there's a lot of stuff going on. So please uh, pay attention. We'll have a little time for Q&A at the end, all right? So our speakers, from my far side over here, we've got Claire Tavernier. She's an independent digital media advisor, former global head of digital for Fremantle Media and for Shine. Claire will help us navigate this world. So quick question for you, Claire. Um, when you look at the SVODs, how critical is kids' content to them? Is it just like a, a placeholder or to keep, keep the kids quiet during the women's football final, or is it more important? All the kids watch the women's football final, obviously. <laughs> uh, I, think, uh, I think it's really important to remember what, what SVOD care about, and they are not broadcasters, they're not, they're not, they don't care about advertising revenues, they don't really care about views that much. They care about two things primarily. One is to drive up subscriptions, and two is to lower churn. And those are the only two things that matter to them. For them, content is a marketing expense, which has to do one of these two things. Otherwise, why do it? So whenever they look at a piece of, of children's content, they will think first, can this drive up subscription, which really is only Disney or Nick or Cartoon Network, but nothing much more than that. Or secondly, and probably most likely, can it lower churn because it provides that service, right. maybe watching something else. And the third thing to remember always with this big global platform is that you can't scale complexity. So they're always looking for simplification, which means taking all rights in all territories forever, okay. because that makes things easier for that. them. So simplification, we're going to come back to that theme mm -hmm. in all rights. So just to introduce um, Billy, who's next to you. Billy McQueen, um, he may be familiar to many of you as co-head MD, co MD of production company Daryl McQueen. He's also a former Disney executive, and he's the current chair of the Children's Committee of PACT, yes? Um, he's also the producer of a show that got on Netflix, and also one that is not on an SVOD yet. Yeah, the, the show that's uh, dropped on <coughs> Netflix five weeks ago is called Chip and Potato. Mm -hmm. um, and 
luckily it seems to be trending on Netflix around the world. So um, hopefully the algorithms are going to be nice to us. Although you don't have a whole lot of information from them about that. None. I just went yeah. home and I turned the TV on and it was... I'd never seen it before. It just said trending and there were three shows. <laughs> One was Chip and Potato. I'm like, thank God. <laughs> Great. Okay. Next to Billy, we have Samreen Ghani. She is the CFO of something called Moonbug. It's a children's content creator, distributor, and platform set up in 2018 with 145 million pounds war chest. Yeah, you're the CFO. You should know yes. that. Yes. Yeah, so good. Um, and a hit show. How many of you heard of Little Baby Bum? Bun. Bum. Yes. Bum. Hands up. Few people. Oh yes, many people. Okay, good. <laughs> so Samreen, um, how many views does Little Baby Bum get? Uh, about a million, a billion views a month. A on billion YouTube. with a yes. B. Yes. Right. Okay. Is that before or after you got involved with them? Uh, it's uh, since we got involved. So, so we've grown it significantly in the six months since acquisition. Okay. And we'll talk more about how you do that and how yeah. your model works. Okay. Um, and then last but not least, we have Richard Cooper. He is a research director of Ampere. Um, so let's start with you, Richard. Um, why don't you set the scene for us about decoding the SVODs? Oh, sorry, I'm supposed to do something first. Definitions. I was told to do some definitions Indeed, by my yes. producer. Okay, so people, there are three things you need to know. SVOD means subscription video on demand, right? We know that, yes. So that's Netflix, poster child for, yes, okay. Um, AVOD is advertiser viewer on demand. That means it's ad supported. What's the biggest AdVOD platform? YouTube, obviously. Um, then we have what I call the hybrid or the freemium services. That's like Hulu, um, Spotify in the music space. You can have an ad-supported bit or you can pay premium. So those are the acronyms you'll probably hear. SVOD, AVOD, and then freemium. Ah, okay, sorry, Richard, go ahead. So there are literally hundreds of SVOD services uh, that are available across the planet. But when we're talking about um, subscription video on demand, we have to focus on uh, Netflix and Amazon. Uh, reason for this is outside of the Chinese market, they are uh, the largest globally. So Netflix, at the end of this year, is going to have about 170 million subscribers worldwide. You need to push it, don't you? Uh, not no, yet. okay, sorry. Um, uh, Amazon, uh, just, uh, just over half that number, they're going to have uh, 90 million uh, worldwide. Now, the rest of my comments I'm going to focus on just the UK market. Uh, those subscriber numbers for the UK are, uh, for Netflix, around uh, 1.1 million by the end of the year, and for uh, Amazon, it's going to be about 8.6 million. So these are very substantial um, very substantial groups of subscribers who, are, um, who have access to the content made available through these services. Um, it's quite important to note that over the course of the last few years, both of these services have grown uh, the volume of content available through um, their services in terms of content hours and titles. Now, when we talk about um, kids' entertainment, what we've seen from uh, the likes of Netflix is actually they grew their children's content uh, a couple of years ago, but then through 2018 and into 2019, we've seen um, the volume of content hours devoted to children's entertainment on that platform start to plateau. Um, when we look at um, Amazon Prime, um, we see a very, very different pattern. They have continued to grow uh, their uh, children's catalogue. It's growing in line uh, with an awful lot of their um, expansion over the course of the last few years. Um, however, Children's content is not growing um, at the same rate as that wider catalogue. So it means that in terms of the total content hours, 
um, that are available through these services. As a proportion, children's is starting to um, be a smaller um, overall share of, uh, of that programming. So it's dropped from 20 and 30% respectively down to around 14 and 12 uh, in the most recent months. But isn't it just because they're just commissioning so much other stuff? Um, partly yeah. yes, but you know, with uh, Netflix, with that plateauing of their, uh, their content hours for children's, you know, that's not uh, helped in terms of uh, growing that proportion. Okay, keep going. Yep. So what that means is that in May 2019, they've both hit um, around about um, 4,000 hours of uh, children's content uh, on both of those services. So broadly comparable when it comes to um, that volume of content. Where they start to differ is actually the uh, volume of titles available through those services. So uh, whilst the content hours are more or less the same, what we're seeing is far fewer titles. That's movies and, and TV uh, seasons on Netflix. Now, this is partly as a result of uh, Amazon Prime having an awful lot more uh, movies, uh, but also uh, Netflix have got more uh, longer-running shows uh, available through their service. Now, this isn't a whole picture. So in order to make sure that we are comparing uh, like with like, mm. we remove quite a lot of titles from uh, Amazon Prime Video. Amazon open up their platform to an awful lot of third parties, which includes um, content which we wouldn't normally compare between Netflix and Amazon. So not the kind of content that's generally being produced in the room. So it's things like Minecraft videos and, and how-to videos. Now, we remove them. Um, you can see the volume of titles that that account for um, within Amazon's catalogue, and that obviously uh, raises issues around both recommendation and, of course, uh, navigability of that much, much broader catalogue of titles. Yeah, that's it? Okay, yeah. great. Um, interesting, very interesting. I think it's, it's just sort of the dynamics of where these, uh, these uh, folks are going. So well, there's also a new broadcast report um, that I've been told to talk about called Working with Netflix. It's carry, they carried out in-depth interviews with 15 leading producers, wonderful um, research. In the report, respondents were asked to talk about some of the drawbacks of working with Netflix. For example, the report says that while Netflix is quick to greenlight or decline a project following a pitch and discussion, uh, some distributors found that they, the complex rights agreements take longer to finalize, especially those that carve out rights in some geographies. So, Billy, if I can come to you, you're a producer, you've actually produced for Netflix. Um, you're going to, I think, show us a clip or two, but what, what's it like? I mean, is it, is it easy? Is it hard? Is it, is it green light quick? What happened? Um, <clears throat> I think the thing to remember is you're dealing with the creative commissioners first. I mean, the first thing is, you've got to love your show. And for creatives, I think what's happening in the SVOD and AVOD market is amazing. Um, I think we should show the clip of Waffle. It, we love Waffle because it's got you know long narrative arc over 40 episodes. And, uh, oh, I've got to do two things at once. Always difficult for a bloke. Um, so <laughs> Oh, yeah, we'll do. So you want to show Waffle first? Yeah, I'll show Waffle first. I'm not sure it's in line to show Waffle first, is it? Yeah. Okay, so we can show Waffle first. Okay. That's great. So, cute, fem strong female, young female lead. Can you, cute dog. you want them to turn the volume down? So you can talk? Or not? Yeah, it's fine. So cute. Yeah, we're very strong on young female leads. And it was a CGI being, and luckily it turned into a dog because it chopped six months off the production period. <laughs> and who knew a dog was going to work globally? I was absolutely gutted because this had Apple written all over it. And the executives who moved from Amazon to Apple loved it. Sadly, 
Apple only want exclusive globally. Um, and this is in the UK with the BBC and does well in France and Germany. Um, Netflix want it, but they can't have it. They can't have it because... Because it's, it's uh, locked out in the UK. Oh, I see. And it's, it's, it's what I call the patchwork PBS. So it's in France, it's in Germany, it's in Scandi. On PBS channels. Yeah. Um, so, the, so basically the global SVODs won't take it because they can't get rights in all territories. Well, I think if, what they want is to have major impact and the, the, the amount of money they will pay for single areas is much less. They obviously really want it for the UK because it's a top-rated show, mm -hmm. but they're going to have to wait four or five years mm -hmm. for the iPlayer rights. Just one question. You said you thought this was Apple written all over it. Why? Well, there was quite a few people pitching Apple early on, and they were pitching teen stuff, and they were pitching uh -huh. uh, violent cartoons for 11-year-olds. Actually, what <laughs> Apple wants is stuff that chimes with their brand, under nine stuff, and this okay. has a lot of positive values in it. So at the moment, you haven't been able to sell this to any SVOD? No. Right. Okay. So now you're going to talk about chip and potato? So chip and potato, um, another one with narrative arc linked. Um, we pitched it to the Beeb who passed, but luckily Netflix fell in love with it. Um, I wet my pants because we had to dub it into 28 languages. <laughs> That's another year on production. We couldn't handle it. We teamed with DHX, who took all that. By the time the contract had been signed a year later, Netflix had taken all dubbing inside, so I shouldn't have wet my pants. <laughs> so you had to pay for that, the dubbing? No, that was, well, originally it was going to be us and DHX. It was going to be in the budget, and we would cash flow it. But by the end, Netflix had taken it all in, internally. So that's good for your It's next fantastic, yeah, yeah. Okay. I wish I'd known that as we started the negotiations rather than a year later. Mm, mm, okay. Um, we could go on, but I'm going to move on. But I'd just like to say yes, that take, go ahead. The, the most interesting, probably one of the reasons it's trending globally yeah. is that the Trump faction in America hate chip and potato. Really? Yeah. Why? <laughs> well, they go to a school called Rainbow School, which they've automatically assumed is a political statement, possibly. And then there's a single mother panda, and there's uh, a family of zebras whose parents are probably the same sex. Oh. Uh, and he's really going to hate the second bunch because there's, um, there's some mixed-up families. There's a badger fox family. It's going to send him mental. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's, he's going he's to build a big wall through the cul-de-sac. <laughs> So you've already gotten the second series commissioned? Or? Well, they did, it in, they did it as a block of 40. Block of 40? 40, 40 Good heavens. That's yeah. a good deal for you, yes? Well, it was, and, yeah. In, okay. Unless you have to do all the dubbing, and that's another right. year of your life. <laughs> okay. Gone down the drain. All right. So um, I think, Sam Reen, we're going to yeah. talk about you next. Um, so talk about uh, where does Moonbug fit into this? I mean, Moonbug's slightly different, right? You're not an SVOD service. So talk us through that. So I'm just going to go to my slides. There you go, Moonbug. Yeah, perfect. So Moonbug is a digital-first entertainment company. Uh, we are an IP owner, and we acquire and produce content which sits both on AWARD as well as SWARD. So the content that we acquire is primarily uh, available on YouTube. As uh, you know, the, we did the poll earlier. Most of you have heard of Little Baby Bum. Besides Little Baby Bum, we have Sandrew, we have Morpho, we have a lot of content available which generates one million views. So our approach to S4 is very different because we go to the S4 players with the content that already exists on the platform, which is widely available. And for us, it's all about uh, generating more eyeballs. 
we don't consider that Netflix or putting our content on Netflix will cannibalize our viewership on YouTube, but instead we see it as increasing our viewership and making revenue opportunities for us as content creators across the globe in, on, in different jurisdictions. So as opposed to you know, your experience with Netflix where they wouldn't take the content because it had complex rights, we go to Netflix with a view, they want to reduce churn, so they will take our content because it works so well and award and has huge following, so they want to have that content available on their platform. In fact, I'm just going to quickly rush to these, this, these two slides. Uh, in fact, uh, Little Baby Mom is probably the only show, uh, as far as we know, which is available on all four big platforms in the US, Amazon, Hulu, YouTube, um, as well as uh, uh, Hulu and Netflix. No. So. Uh, so, so that's, that's basically, yeah, that's basically okay. our approach. And you know, similar, same goes for other content that we have. We will obviously consider doing original shows, which will sit exclusively, and we are talking to a, a number of regional SWAT players for that. And which, which, obviously, we will own the content as opposed to Netflix taking equity. We don't share our IP with anyone. You don't so, share IP. No, we don't share IP uh, for any with anyone. But they're willing so to the do that I because this is kind of halo, what I call Halo content for them. They add it to their their group of stuff on the SVOD, and it just helps look like they've got lots of stuff on their service, and they don't mind not owning the IP. Yeah, and 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 the reason it works is because it has a huge following, so it's a draw. Right. So for them, it uh, if some if you are if uh, if a child is watching. Uh, you know, chip and potato on Netflix. They want to make sure that he's hooked, he or she is hooked and he's watching content on Netflix. If the next thing he wants to watch is like nursery rhymes on Little Baby Bum, they want to make sure Little Baby Bum is available on Netflix so that that child doesn't switch from Netflix onto YouTube yep. to watch what they want to watch. Okay. So it reduces churn, it increases the viewership time of like uh, of kids spending time uh, watching that content. So Little Baby Bum, for instance, is again, you know, it's uh, almost half the children in the US watch Little Baby Bum. That number increases to two-thirds, 65% of uh, kids in the UK watch Little Baby, are familiar with uh, Little Baby Bum and watch Little Baby Bum content. On which platform? On YouTube? Uh, across, I mean, across uh, so YouTube, and we treat Amazon similar to YouTube. So, okay. in you know, the third chart, that, the, the bar chart that you show, yeah, so we are that third You're party. You're third party content. Because right. we're the third party content and we treat Amazon exactly like YouTube with like regular programming okay. and making sure that our catalog is available in episodic Do you content. have another slide or not? I do actually. Okay. I'm just going to quickly run. Yeah, through. talk about that. I think that's cool. uh, yeah. So so the way I mean, we have met very much a data-led con uh, content creation company, and our approach is data-led not through, not just like in creating content, but also how we approach acquisition. So we use do data to inform our acquisition decisions. So anything that we acquire uh, is uh, you know through that data analysis. Then we use data analysis like what trends are working on YouTube in real time to inform what content we are going to create. So we did a spin-off show, uh, show for Little Baby Bum, so Go Buster, which is trending really well on YouTube. And that, was, that entire creation was through data that informed us that bus uh, character in Little Baby Bum was extremely popular, and the trends that were extremely popular, like you know, living in a car wash. So we use that information to create Go Buster, which is again doing extremely well. Sharksons is another example of IP that we created through that data-led uh, data uh, production process. Do you have then, another slide about that? I thought there was a bus slide. No. Uh, I think that was removed. Oh, no. So yeah. Sorry. Okay. Right. Um, so, so it's about buses, and so you got it, the data, figured out the bus would work, made the bus show. Made the bus got show, it. optimized it. Made 
made it available in 13 languages and used and distributed across Netflix, Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Uh, and the last one is just to, to show like before acquisition <laughs> and since acquisition. So within six months of acquiring Little Baby Bum, we have a monthly subscriber growth of 26%. So we have 35 million subscribers for Little Baby Bum now. Uh, we increased the number of shows that we are producing. So it was two and now we have seven shows and we are available on 15 platforms. So. Interesting model. So slightly, slightly, so almost the opposite model of what Billy is doing. Exactly. So right. we, we we approach with like non-exclusive content, and that also works. Yeah. Cool. So Claire, let me ask you. I mean, these business models for these different platforms are just so different. I mean, you know, quickly, kind of, what are the different business models? We've kind of heard the beginnings of that. You know, Sam Marines talked about. You know, they 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 need hero content. Billy. I mean, so give us a. Yeah, I mean, advertising-funded uh, VOD, YouTube, is, is, is in many ways is the same as a commercial broadcaster. They need views because they will sell their advertising based on views. YouTube is particularly efficient at this because they sell advertising everywhere globally. So even if somebody's watching Little Baby Bum in the Philippines at midnight, they can still sell an ad for that, which is amazing, and no, no commercial broadcaster can do that. So in this case, the principal driver is views. They don't really care what type of content, again, and in fact, the big problem on YouTube now is there's so much content that it's very hard to discover new content, which is a real issue. Yep. Uh, for YouTube, it doesn't matter. They don't care. They're selling volumes of views. So, you know, yes, they're packaging it in different ways, but not that much. The SVOD model is completely different. They don't, frankly, they don't care about views. They want people to keep paying the subscription. They care about views only if it drives subscription or if it lowers churn. Yep. So then it's you have to think about the way they choose content very much through that lens. That's what they'll look at. And they, they, they will operate like a mobile phone provider who, who wants to either attract new subscribers to their mobile phone packages or avoid you switching to somebody else. Do you think that now that we're going to see more SVODs coming into the market, <clears throat> competing with the big ones, you know, Netflix, mm -hmm. um, Amazon, when Disney comes in, will they change their stripes a little bit and do something different, or is it going to remain the same? Or don't we know? I think there, we've already seen in the non-kid market that a lot of people have gone into the SVOD market and failed. It's very hard to launch a new SVOD program. People don't buy subscriptions for one specific content, except if it's sports, really. That's the only content that they will buy specifically on a subscription basis. Everything else, they'll do pay-per-view, and they're very happy to do that. So what they buy when they buy Netflix or Amazon is they buy the breadth of content. They buy the fact that there is a little bit of everything, maybe not exactly what I want at any point, but enough that I'm going to keep myself entertained, you know, keep the kids busy, and there'll be something to watch with the family in the evening. And it's going to be very hard for new platforms coming in to replicate that. And there is a limit to how many subscriptions people will pay. So no, I don't actually think they're going to be changing their strategy that much. I do think they're going to be going for, they've lost a lot of the very premium content. They've lost the Disney content. They've lost a lot of the Nick content, a lot of the, of the, of the Turner content. And so they will go to Little Baby Bum as the new type of premium content that they can get uh, in order to keep their, their, their uh, audience. But Beyond that, I'm not seeing a huge amount of... of yeah, that's um, interesting. So there might be an opportunity for someone like, you know, Moonbug or mm -hmm. other people that are finding content that will work in this kind of vacuum that's created when they take stuff off. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, Richard, why don't you um, do your next bit here? This is kind of strategies for content creators. I think you're talking about which genres, yeah? Indeed. So one of the great things about um, uh, Netflix and Amazon, it really is there 
consistency. So to begin, I'm just going to talk about their audience. Um, these numbers come from our um, consumer tracking service. So just um, as an average, um, for all of our UK respondents, we see um, just under half of them um, as households that contain kids. When we shift that to look at Netflix and Amazon, actually those proportions uh, change around a bit. So we've got around sort of 51, 52% of uh, households that contain uh, kids, and the increase particularly here is homes with, with younger children. Now, that audience profile for uh, both Netflix and Amazon has been uh, very consistent over the course of the, the last few years. Um, and in order to meet the demands of their audience, um, Netflix has also been um, quite consistent in the way uh, that it presents um, children's genres. So this is quite a, a top-level view um, of the uh, titles that they have. Uh, the largest segment there is um, animation in terms of their, their current catalogue, um, with um, live-action comedy and live-action drama um, the, the second and third largest there. Now, this has been consistent over the course of the last two years for um, Netflix. Um, it's important to note that a lot of those titles that are uh, in Netflix's catalogue, um, now that it has uh, plateaued, are actually consistent titles. So um, around two-thirds of those titles that were available um, this time last year uh, are still available now. So, there's so they're not just a huge current series, or are they just churning them? They're just replaying them? Um, so th they are... They continue to be on those services. They, they're not. But are they commissioning them. new versions of that? Or uh, absolutely, they are, and I okay. shall Got touch it. on that Sorry. in a moment. Um, so, in terms of their um, Amazon, um, in terms of their um, originals uh, and exclusive strategy, uh, we see a slight shift in the uh, types of genres that they are um, commissioning um, and acquiring themselves. Um, much more animation uh, and far less of the, the live-action content. And this is slightly exaggerated when we start to look at their upcoming titles. So these are. Uh, the greenlit titles uh, that they have, so things that are currently in production and will be available uh, anywhere from uh, next, month's, uh, next month out to about uh, 18 months. Um, now we see a very, very similar trend with uh, Amazon, again, very consistent over the course of that growth. So there's definitely um, an underlying strategy here at play uh, with both uh, Amazon and Netflix. Now the volume of uh, original and exclusive titles on Amazon is far, far lower, uh, but again, we see that increase in uh, the number of um, or rather the proportion uh, of animation titles. And when it comes to their upcoming titles, yet again, this is something which is, is continuing to grow. So in order to maintain those consistent uh, catalogues, uh, what we're going to have to see from both Amazon and Netflix is them acquiring a good deal more content, particularly uh, within that live action space. Okay. That's it? Okay, so Billy, let me come to you. Interesting information we just heard, right, from Richard. He's saying that, you know, even though Netflix is plateauing, you know, there's going to be an appetite, particularly in that live space, which is what he just said. How are you finding it out there as a producer? I mean, how do you actually work inside of this SVOD ecosystem? Well, I'm, quite, I'm very positive, and I think if you love it as a producer, go pitch it. And go, go, go pitch to Netflix, Amazon. You know, Netflix is everything. Amazon is teen plus or family. Uh, Disney is kids and teens, but also go and speak to people like Little Dot Studios, Moonbug, Wildbrain. My personal opinion is the middle ground in budgets has gone. You're either going to get commissions at the 15, 20,000 pounds a minute, 30,000 pounds a minute slot, or you're going to go to a more YouTube 
uh, scale where you're talking $3,000, $2,000 a minute. Um, and incidentally, the bus program that she was talking about earlier, I happened to watch Little Baby Bum two years ago and was stunned three months ago to stumble across the bus program. And the standard of animation had trebled. It had really moved up. And you can see why that show will sit on Netflix and you won't really notice the difference. Um, I think it's also something that Dan said earlier as a change maker. Young people know what young people want. And I think the creators have a really good instinct. So although the algorithms kind of help the commissioners at these places, they don't automatically get what the kids want. Um, I don't think chip and potato would have been on their want list when we went in there, but we were quite passionate about trying to do linked narrative arcs for preschoolers in, as a 2D animation, and they kind of bought into it. Um, the one big thing is you're going to go and meet people in the SVOD and AVOD world who you don't like, and also, they don't like you. And at that point, <laughs> don't bother going any further. <laughs> there really is no point in working with someone uh, under that pressure who you don't like. So you go and do all those meetings. And you know, I know there's a couple of people over in America who loathe me. But that's fine. <laughs> you know, there, were, there were three or four companies who I got on really well with. But you have to, be, you have to go there and meet them because it changes so fast. It changes you know, within three months or month by month. So yeah, they're also adding more TV people to a lot of their commissioning yeah. staff, right? I mean, it's really changed. I mean, I think that was the problem at the beginning. You had four people yeah. at Amazon running the goddamn world. Yeah. You know, there's 350 people <laughs> in Salford for the BBC. Right. Well, there's no surprise they were getting 1,000 emails a day and, and weren't replying. You know, there were lots of people slashing their wrists going, I've got no reply. Well, they got through the first 20 emails and then they'd just bin the rest. Mm -hmm. I'd do the same. Hmm. So, Sam Reen, when you look at this, um, you know, classically kids' um, programming has made money through license and merchandising, you know, fluffy toys and all that kind of stuff. And almost the video was almost like the, the window just to sell yeah. the stuff. Do you think that model is changing? I mean, are, I think even in our digital world, uh, licensing and merchandising stays important. Mm -hmm. So for instance, for Little Baby Bum, we have a licensing, uh, toy licensing deal with MGA. So the toys will be on the shelf um, in October this year. So we, again, our approach is we're in a new world, completely different, like, and we are basically making the rules as we go along. But for us, it's very important that we are curating the content. It's safe to watch because YouTube is a big bad world out there, but, you know, can be. But we want to make sure that we have content available or we are managing the content that we are producing, which children or parents want their kids to watch, and it's widely available. So for us, and the reason why we have content not just available on YouTube, but also across different platforms, because uh, it creates more revenue opportunities as a company. Mm -hmm. So for Little Baby Bum sits everywhere, which is great. It's but are you making more revenue from those deals or more revenue, do you think, from the I think it's early days to say. So, so yeah, licensing and merchandising is an important uh, revenue for us. And uh, I think in this world where kids are consuming content across different pl platforms, they are and they want to buy toys of the content that they are watching. Yeah. So. Uh, so it hasn't gone away. Okay, let me ask you one more question. When you go into Netflix and, and the SVODs to sell your programs, I mean, is it pennies on the on the program, or is it based on viewers, or what? How, what's the commercial? What's the commercial deal look like? 
because they're not buying they're not buying the, the IP, right? Yeah. So how does it work? Do you so get a, we, a share of something? Yeah. So it's typically a um, a a term based deal uh, with a certain amount attached to it over the life of the term. So it's a it's a MG, and depending on the SWOT player, sometimes you have a revenue so a share. So it's a minimum guarantee versus, and yep. depending on the on the platform, uh, don't really know the specific across different platforms. Right. But sometimes there's a revenue revenue share. So it varies by who you're talking to okay. and where the revenue is sitting. So it's um, kind of like what Billy says: some of them are better than others. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and for us, for us, it's existing content and it's additional yeah. revenue. So yeah. it's yeah. it's not costing us yeah. to create yeah. that uh, yeah. that content. Yeah. So it's. So Claire, you talked a lot about discoverability as being a huge problem. I mean, when we talk about how these producers are going to survive in this and thrive in this new environment, is that the big issue? I mean, how does how does there you know in the in the old days, you know, you'd go on CBBS or ITV, CITV, and they would sort of market your show and sort of yeah. yeah I mean, how is it now? Well, you have lost the shop window. I mean, as a producer, as a creator of, of kids' IP, you have lost the shop window. And, and that's a very big problem because when Argos uh, puts together their Christmas catalogue, they want to put brands on the cover that they know the parents will recognise and that they, as buyers at Argos, do recognise. And so, yes, it is a problem. It's a problem because they're, the, 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 the distributed views over 15 platforms even though it will add up to as many views as you know, one show on CBBS, will not have the same power in terms of shop windows when you go out and you sell to licensing and merchandising. It will eventually catch up, but it will take longer. Mm. Uh, and so, yes, I think at what's happening is that the model, the, the traditional model of just putting something on TV, blasting it out everywhere, and then getting as you know, going to the uh, toy. Uh, the toy fair, toy fair right? uh, and then selling as many licenses as you can. That model is doesn't really work anymore, and so the, what's going to replace it is very unclear. I think toy manufacturers are as clueless as anybody else. They want to make toys that people will buy, and they don't really know where to turn. So. Like a lot of the platforms, they go back to trusted brands, to things that they've seen before, to things that they kind of know will do okay because there's a lack of new IP. Right. Okay. Richard, let's go. You go ahead. Point to that. I mean, so as opposed to getting the shop window, I mean, there's a new. I mean, you can. People are buying toys on Amazon, right? So you don't really need to have a shop window to put your toys. I mean, we're seeing some yeah, of the YouTube. All that's all Amazon is is a shop. <laughs> so some of the YouTube creatives, if they have a yeah. huge following, they are able to move their merchandise. Yeah. Either through their own website or putting yeah. it out on Amazon. Yeah. So even that part of the world is also changing, yeah. and you don't have to put millions of dollars in marketing because you already have. You're already communicating with your audience directly, so you're not yeah. doing it through a network. Yeah. Yeah. But you're sitting on YouTube, and you have a whole fan base that's viewing your content. Yeah. So that's you know, in a nutshell, the whole ecosystem is changing on the viewership side, but it's also changing and it has its impact on the licensing and merchandising side as well. Really good point, um, Richard. Do you want to do your last set of slides? Yes. So the future, yeah? Yeah. So when we are uh, looking at the future, the best uh, guide, of course, is what's uh, gone in, in the past. Now, what we've done here is we've grouped the, um, the different um, uh, producers and distributors by um, a number of different categories uh, in order to give a little bit of clarity as to where uh, both Netflix and Amazon are getting their content from. Um, we've gone back uh, about four years. So back in uh, 2015, uh, there was a... The majority of content was coming from uh, larger, uh, larger producers and distributors, so international uh, 
distributors and um, and producers, broadcasters, and of course uh, the US studios. Um, just moving forward, so back um, for. 2017, um, we start to see a slightly more um, equitable mix between uh, independent um, uh, producers and distributors uh, and those larger groups. Still quite dependent on, on content from uh, people like the US studios, but we start to see uh, the emergence of uh, Netflix's um, own um, originals. Mm -hmm. Now, most recently, um, this um, this strategy has come forward. Uh, we still see um, an increase in the number of uh, titles which are coming from US studios, um, but now more than half of that content is being uh, provided by um, independent um, and sorry, independent producers and distributors. That's interesting. Okay. Now, in terms of uh, Netflix's upcoming titles, we can see very little when it comes to. Um, when it comes to the um, spread of uh, content that they acquire, but we know about their, um, their commission shows. Um, we're seeing a slight decline in the volume of um, commission shows, and one of the things that this uh, seems to suggest is that actually um, Amazon having, sorry, Netflix having um, experimented a little bit with um, own brand um, kids' content, they've struggled to uh, find and establish um, children's IP. So going forward, they're much more likely to uh, be dependent on or already established um, children's content. So things like A Little Baby Bum would be you know, a great example of that. Now, for uh, Amazon Prime, um, initially, um, we see this service starting very much, very, very heavily dependent on those larger uh, producers and distributors. Um, this has obviously um, evolved and changed over the course of the last few years. And again, we see uh, much more mm. uh, input from those independent uh, producers. And then currently, um, the volume of titles which is still being provided by um, those big producers um, as a proportion of that overall catalogue has, has declined, they're much more um, much more willing to accept um, titles within their persistent catalogue, which is coming from uh, independent uh, and smaller um, producers. Now, one of the reasons for this, for both um, Netflix and for Amazon, is that they have an awful lot more control over the, the licensing. So this is partly a result of the worry around uh, groups like uh, Disney uh, launching Disney Plus and removing content from their platforms. Now, interestingly for Amazon Prime, in terms of their upcoming children's titles, this seems to have uh, fallen away quite dramatically. Mm, that's amazing. It is. So they are even more so than mm. Netflix going to be increasingly reliant on uh, independent deals in order to drive their uh, content catalogs. Cool. So, Billy, let me come to you. I mean, that was a pretty stunning uh, difference, right, with Amazon you know, not trying to get new IP, but uh, sort of established titles. I mean, when you think about what you're going to pitch next to or who you're going to pitch next to, you know, which one do you go to or do you feel like better about some or others? Or Well, I think Amazon have a problem, um, which was down to me too, and uh, it will take another two years for the <clears throat> budgets to play out. Um, you mean because of Roy Price being... Exactly, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, the ex-head of Amazon Studios who had a Me Too moment and was fired. So I think it's thankfully. all a bit messed up. And it in those organizations, it often takes four years for it all to trickle through. Mm -hmm. um, I, I still think it's, you know, it's, it's really tough to get rejected. Um, it's really tough to get rejected four times in four days when you've flown over to LA and on an economy flight. Um, <laughs> but... 
we have to do that uh, whilst we still have BBC Children's funding us for the next four or five years until the, until the next licence comes up. You know, I, they are the biggest player in the UK by far. And we've got to keep on using our creativity and going over to the US or wherever the major offices of the SVODs and the AVODs are to sell our wares and just, you know, suck up the rejection because the, it moves so fast. You've got to be in there. You've got to have some kind of relationship <coughs> with either the second or the third layer of staff down. And the other key thing, I think... So do you think you're going to actually try to pitch to things to the SVODs and just not even go to the BBC? Or do you think you're always no, going to no. do this hybrid? Well, the, the BBC are... You know, we have a long-term relationship oh, with the BBC and they kind of understand the storytelling and they, they understand the culture. So it's much easier. But I think we're quite blessed to have that. I mean, if, I don't know if you've seen what's happened in Australia. They're obliterating the ABC over there. Yep. So let's not think we're going to have the BBC for another decade or 15 years. It might actually go. I think the other key thing is don't get too precious about your IP. You know, I, people are asking me, oh, L&M, L&M, you must be doing really well on L&M on Waffle. No, we're not. It's, it's one in 750 kids series that gets made, even mm. breaks even on L&M. So when people are going, Netflix, take all your rights, or Hulu, take all your rights, just do the maths. Are we, you know, are, if they pay us £250,000 to buy that IP, Oh, you know, great. If you think it is the next Peppa Pig, then hold on tight. But it's 750 to one. Mm -hmm. Give them the IP and go off and create another show and do it again. We're just all getting a little pressure. I've created this. Oh, the bad Americans are coming to take us and they're changing our culture. <laughs> Sod it. It's the marketplace. Go out there and sell more stuff. Think up more stuff. We're creative. Creativity is great. Get out there. That's great. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have therapy for my rejection. But. <laughs> There'll be a therapy room, right? Exactly. Yeah. I have to set one up in LA. Post, yeah, post-America so, trauma. So, so, Sam Rain, do you think that the arrival of Apple and Disney Plus will shake things up a little bit? I mean, will that change what you're doing? Or I think it's creating more opportunities for us because as Disney is pulling its content uh, across different platforms and the licensing uh, is coming to an end, the other esport players, they are in a rush to get more content on their platforms. And we are quite well positioned to provide them that content. Mm -hmm. So I, I, it's creating more and more opportunities and I think it's an exciting time for creators and content owners because there, there's huge demand and there's a, you know, there are no, so many new players that are coming up and it's just creating more opportunities for us to create, uh, put our content out there. And obviously there's always a cost versus benefit analysis, right? So what tries do they want? Do we still keep it on um, YouTube? And in most instances, we are seeing that we are able to keep stuff up on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So it's just an additional uh, revenue source. Yeah, yeah. Claire, I mean, what do, what do you think about all this? I mean, where should this audience be looking at as their best, I don't know, birth in a storm, or how to, should they be thinking about SVOD? Is Billy right? Well, I think that what you, if you look at the non-kid content on SVOD, what's going on because of the issue of content saturation, it's just too much stuff and nobody can find anything, is that uh, on the big platforms, they've started to retreat into, I mean, you know, um, remakes, 
spin-offs, very, very well-established stars, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, because they know that these people, this content will will surface. And I think so. I, on on the one hand, I think that's scary because it means less creativity, breaking. You know, it's very hard to bring new talent. You know, it's not great. And thank God we have the BBC hopefully for a bit longer and and the other public broadcasters. On the other hand, if you're sitting on any old sort of IP that worked 10 years ago and that you can sort of show still has any sort of validity in this market, bring it out. Now is the time. Now is the moment to try and get any vague success from 15 years ago and say, look, this kind of worked. These guys have kids now. Let's sell it to them because that will that will be a very big argument. Yeah. So, so IP that works in some way, shape or form, go in and sell it. Yeah. Um, let's go to the audience. I want to give you a little bit of opportunity. We have about seven minutes left. Um, does anyone have a question? If you do, there's a mic. Put your hand up. While you're thinking, I'm going to go to somebody who I think is in the audience. Patrick Egerton, are you here from Little Cheeky Media? And if you are, put your hand up. Could you get a mic to this man? He's up here in the front. Put your, keep your hand up so she can find you. There you go. So, Patrick, you've worked with SVODs, I think. Do you have a question or something you can add to this? Yeah, I do. Hi. Um, cheeky little was quite, um, I guess, ahead of the curve. We did a couple of very early Netflix original deals in 2015 and 16. Um, and that was a really interesting experience. And I think, you know, the main, the main, I guess the main risk, while I, I kind of concur with Billy and his optimism, I think the problem is that it's a Herculean effort to get a show financed and produced and made. And that's usually a sort of four to five year cycle. And if you are going to put that on Netflix, you are taking a very large risk because um, it's not like a traditional broadcaster where shows are promoted um, in, a, in a weekly way. You are dropping your show into a vast ocean of content. And to the point about simplification and accessibility, I think the, you know, the risk is, is my show that I love, that I've passionately spent years making, going to sink or swim? And um, I think. But that's if they write you a big enough check, Patrick, does it matter? I think it does. Okay. I think it matters because, firstly, because whilst those odds of having a license success success are pretty stiff, um, nevertheless there haven't been any hits in the kids' space on Netflix because those shows aren't promoted in a way that's traditional. So. Right. Okay. You know, you are, if you th if you've got a show that you think has um, commercial appeal and potential. It is a risk putting it there. I mean, yeah. nonetheless, yeah. we will continue to make shows for Netflix, and I am very positive so how many about have you, it. So how many have you made now? Two. Two, right. And they paid you a big check? No comment. No comment. <laughs> OK. Another question or another statement, unless you have a question, Patrick? Is there someone else who wants to? Here's somebody here. Where's the right here? Turn around. He's right there. There we go. Nope. Down here. There we go. Well done. Tell us who you are, please. Uh, I'm Steve Wynn. I'm there from Strawberry Blonde TV. Very well exec produced <coughs> session, I thought, today. It was me. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to thank you later, No, well, of course. Um, Claire, you mentioned about the fact that people don't necessarily buy streaming services because of the content on there or, or a specific title. I think that's the opposite of my experience, that I went for Netflix because it had House of Cards back in the day. I know since then we've had Strange Things in the Crown. And then 
to my horror, after going through House of Cards, my kids had found Netflix, and that was the end of it. And that's why we still got Netflix, is because of my stupid kids. We got, we got Amazon because that saved my life so many times on birthdays for my wife and God knows who else. And that's the only reason we've got Prime Video. It's not because we've gone, oh, great, look, it's on Prime Video today. So my contention is the kids are driving... It's our viewing habits more than anything else. When my kids go to my parents' house... They can't watch Peppa Pig because it's not on. They don't understand that. So the reason why I think the kids' contents work on Netflix is because it's just there. There's just stuff to watch again and over and over again. And it's that rather than necessary quality or titles that are driving. It's just loads of stuff on there whenever they want it. Okay, let's Claire respond. Yep. Yeah, I totally fun? agree. I mean, I think a kid's content on YouTube is there to lower churn. In your case, it obviously worked. <laughs> you were going to binge on a house of cards and then cancel the subscription as quickly as possible. But because the kids were watching it, they didn't churn. You, you didn't churn. You stayed on. So, yes, I agree. I don't think people will necessarily accept. I mean, if you, again, look, look back at cable, you know, that yes, a few people will subscribe to Disney Channel, but but it's quite rare. That's not, it's it's not the big ticket items on, on the subscription market on cable, and it's the same with Netflix. You, you subscribe because of the big marketing push, House of Cards, The Crown, etc. You stay for the breadth of content, and as part of that breadth of content is enough kids programming that I don't mind my kids watching. Yeah. And they don't need to be the big brands. They just need to be just about good enough that they will stick with it and you're okay with it. And that's that's the box. So yeah, I agree. So do you have a question, Rachel? Okay, right up here. The kids are pretty smart. Yeah, go ahead, I mean, kids like good content. I mean, I know you're saying there's just so much of it, but actually, you know, and, and teens as well. I mean, sex education on Netflix <laughs> was brilliant, fresh, came out of nowhere, and I think they got, God, they must have got 20. I'll tell you what, Billy, later on I'm moderating a panel on teens and content. You should come and watch us. All, uh, and the promo is 5 o'clock in five somewhere. 5 o'clock somewhere. Yes, okay. It's it's teens are scary. Yeah. Rachel, you had a quick question. I've got, uh, yeah. I've so, got, so. My question really is that in, in the past we've seen channels carve out an identity for themselves and as a producer you kind of know which channel would be the logical home for your show. Is that happening? Will it happen more? We know the kind of stuff Disney might be interested in. Is Apple going to have a more curriculum driven strategy or is that irrelevant? Well, we know that Amazon likes safe stuff because that's their whole thing. But what about the rest of them, guys? What's your view? Is, is it a difference between what they want to commission as originals and what they want to acquire? Because there's a big difference. In terms of originals... Yeah, I mean, I think they have a segment of consumers in mind. So that might be a way to look at it. I mean, you know, you could argue that's also the case for broadcasters. But broadcasters, you know, they, they want to define a brand. I think... My, inter my understanding is that the Netflix would see House of Cards as a brand-defining piece of content. I don't think at this stage they see their kids commissioning as a, a brand-defining piece of content. They are seeing it as something that will attract a specific audience. So they're thinking about the audience they are trying to attract when they commission that piece of content, but not necessarily as part of their brand. Is my understanding, Billy, okay. you might have a very different experience. Uh, no, I mean, they change all the time. It, you've just got to see what bubbles up. Yeah. But basically, it tends to fit in with whatever their key brand is. I mean, I see Amazon as just a massive, great shopping mall. Mm. And I see Netflix more as a great corner shop that does, you know, you can get the things you really like. They're slightly more expensive, but you can get great and things. And it's a little there. more punchy. I mean, Netflix is going to be more punchy. Well, it takes risks. Yeah, you can take risks yeah, that most of the risks. PBS yeah. can't, you know. 
Samri, do you have anything to add to this? Uh, so I think, I mean, for Disney, I think it's probably wait and see. But my view would be Disney would probably go for content commissioning, stuff that doesn't look like Disney, so that they have a whole uh, array of content available. So they wouldn't go for, like, princesses or something, because they have a vast library of princesses. content already available. <laughs> so it has to be less Disney-like. But at the same time, it is the Disney name, so I'm not yeah. really sure. So we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. For, uh, for Apple, I think my view would be that they want, like, long-term exclusivity, your content that's not out there yet. So they will probably make some big bets and they have a huge, uh, you know, they have a lot of money available to spend on content. Yeah, bigger. So fewer. bigger watches than yeah. uh, anyone. And I mean, Netflix, we have already seen they have a breadth of content already available. Okay. So, yeah. We have to stop because I've got the red flashing lights. So I'm going to thank um, our producers, Rachel Mural and also Steve Wynn. Yeah, right. You've already thanked yourself. Thank you very much. Um, uh, I'm also thanking our sponsors. A shout out to the Department of International Trade. Yay. Okay. Uh, uh, I've been told we have to clear this room really quickly. But before we do that, please thank our speakers. We have Claire. We have Billy. We have Sam Reed and Richard. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you.